0: Hello and welcome to Chambercast, the Billings Chamber of Commerce's podcast. I'm your host, Jack Genoy. One of the benefits of being a Chamber member is that we advocate for you at the state legislature. And this year, we've contracted a professional lobbyist to help us do that. My guest today is Rebecca Myers of Northbound Public Affairs, who will be speaking on behalf of the Billings business community this session. Thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: And my celebrity guest host this week is Dan Brooks, the Billings Chamber's Director of Business Advocacy. Thanks, Jack. So Rebecca, we just want to kind of help our listeners, uh, our members get familiar with who's going to be, you know, speaking on be- their behalf this legislative session. Because So can you please start by just introducing yourself, talk a little bit about your background and how you got into this business?
1: Sure. So my name is Rebecca Myers. I'm currently based in Helena, Montana. I love it. Been back in Montana for about five years now. I am originally from Portland, Oregon. And went to school at UM, so go Grizz. Too bad they got their butts handed to them this last (laughs) couple of weeks. And uh, was over in the Denver area for about a decade before making my way back here. In my past life, I worked in the human service world, went back to school in Denver and ended up having a policy professor who changed the course of my life, I would say. Learned a lot about lobbying and public policy making. It really was something that uh, I found fascinating and interesting. I love the idea of giving a voice to issues, don't really care what the issue is, and was able to kind of make my way through that process. Ended up working in a mid-sized firm in Denver for about eight or nine years as a contract lobbyist out there. And when my family moved back here, we ended up in Helena. And I had some great lobbyists who've now become friends who really helped me understand how it works in Montana. And so I own my own business and have a couple clients and I'm really happy to be representing the Billings Chamber.
0: Thank you. I, yeah, I think uh, when a lot of people think about lobbying or lobbyists, they think about like that Kevin, Kevin Spacey movie or like the, the big K Street firms and all that kind of stuff. It's safe to say that's that's not you, right? That is not <laughs> me. no. So Dan, this is a this is kind of a different approach than what we've taken in the last couple of years. Can you just give our listeners a little bit of an overview of our history of involvement at the state legislature and why we're going in this new direction?
2: Yeah, certainly. For a good number of years before I even started working here, the chamber has always been involved in uh, the state legislature and advocating for business climate issues up in Helena during the session. Uh, we had previously hired a contract lobbyist for a number of years before I started, and then a couple while I was here, and then we decided that uh, we just try to handle that internally for a couple of years, but realized that we, we, we definitely need the help and the assistance of somebody on the ground up in Helena that's really absorbing and aware of everything that's going on. So we reached out to our, one of our former lobbyists, and uh, Rebecca came highly recommended, uh, and I had reached out to a couple other lobbyist contacts, uh, and, and they recommended her as well. So I think we're in good hands this legislative session.
0: All right. So let's go ahead and dive into what we are expecting to see this legislative session.
2: So, Rebecca, we saw nationally that there was not the predicted red wave of elections. However, here at the state level, that was certainly the case. The Republican caucus had strong majorities in the last legislative session and buttressed those up, adding a few more seats to give them a supermajority this legislative session. So what does that mean now how is that different from 2021
1: so um we are going to see we definitely saw some changes take place with this general election that happened a few weeks back the republican party has 102 seats that they secured of the 150 legislators that montana has it is the first bicameral supermajority since the constitution was enacted here in montana the House will have 68 seats which is up from 66 in the 2021 legislative session so they picked up two spe- two seats and then the Senate picked up three seats so they now have 34 Republicans up from 31 in the 2021 session. I think what this the impact that this will have for, you know, our our legislative process is that there's there's less uh, ability for I think some of the swing votes. I think working Working closely with um, some of those moderates and the solution caucus here in Montana and working with their Democrats is going to play a bigger role, I think, for some of those who see themselves more aligned in the middle. I I think that we will see a longer session potentially where the Republicans will likely take advantage of having the supermajority. And potentially the largest um, impact that this could have is with the two-thirds supermajority uh, the GOP would, would be allowed to refer the constitutional amendments to the ballot. That's not something that we've seen before. And I think we'll have to keep our heads to the ground and see what that looks like.
2: So, yeah, I think certainly something that we need to pay attention to. But one of the things that makes our Montana legislature so unique is that it's really, it's not just divided along two party lines within the Republican caucus. There's you know, you could argue that there's the uh, Solutions Caucus folks and then uh, more conservative legislators. So even though they have a supermajority, you know, it's not entirely certain yet that they will want to wield that power and, and refer a whole bunch of constitutional referenda. You know, could you just kind of help to uh, our, our audience to understand better that divide within the Republican Caucus?
1: Yeah. And I think the governor's office, of course, plays a role there as well. I mean, the governor and lieutenant governor have their own priorities related to their budget related to a lot of, you know, tax reform and property taxes, et cetera. So I think waiting to see sort of where our, our governor and the executive comes in and weighs in and what some of those priorities are going to look like and how that plays into the Republican Party, generally speaking. You know, the House has um, a pretty safe number of seats. The Senate still, there's still some wiggle room. I think that there's definitely some divide within the republican caucus right now there's there's what some would consider to be pretty far right leaning legislators some of which are now going to be in leadership that we'll see particularly in the house and then you've still got what you'd consider to be that moderate group um where there's definitely what I would consider to be some pretty strong moderates particularly from the billings area and i think the the role that they're going to have to choose to play in terms of the democrats and that minority and how that plays into the governor's vision and what they'd like to see passed is going to play a pretty significant role. I also think that there's going to be a lot more conversation as it relates to the state budget, House Bill 2, and the impact that some of that might have on like local government funding and law enforcement. Um, the moderates and Democrats coming together still do make up quite a large number of legislators whether or not they can count those votes the way they haven't before I think is to be determined.
0: Yeah, so one way to put that is that there is a supermajority in partisan terms but not necessarily a supermajority on in terms of agreement on issues.
1: Right, and I think the the role that our executive plays and the budget director I mean all of that is going to be taken into account and I think that the leadership that's been elected in for the 2023 legislature I, The folks that they have surrounded themselves are really strong names. They're good people. They represent lots of parts of the state. And I think there's some institutional knowledge there. And so my hope would be that there's still the opportunity for those discussions to take place, regardless of where I think either faction wants to go.
2: So speaking of leadership, Billings legislators did pretty well getting elected by their fellow colleagues could you talk a little bit about some of those uh, of our Billings area legislators that got elected to uh, leadership seats?
1: Sure. So um, we have Sue Vinton, who's the majority leader in the House again. She was as well last year. She or last session. Um, you've got Terry Moore in the House with uh, he's the majority whip. Tom McGillivray is the majority whip in the Senate. Barry Usher and Dennis Lenz, both of whom moved from the House, a lot of experience over into the Senate. They both are also the majority whips. And then you're going to see Bill Mercer is going to be chairing a committee, got a lot of representatives from and and senators from the Billings area that are going to have either vice chair roles, the role of a chair, or just sitting on a lot lot of committees that the Billings chamber cares quite a bit about.
2: Yeah, so we generally focus on uh, a few committees like business and labor, taxation, uh, energy, telecommunications, local government. Who do we have representing us on those committees, and and what does it mean for 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 somebody to be a committee chair? What what kind of power do they wield?
1: Yeah, I think the committee chairs they all um, have some level of autonomy in terms of how they run their committee. Generally speaking, committee chairs uh, make a lot of des- decisions about what bills come through their committees. They're going to be working with their leadership, um, the Speaker of the House, the President, and even the Executive's Office a lot about the order in which those bills come forward. They often have a lot of control over when the votes take place. As you may be aware, you'll have a committee listen to a bill, but they don't make a, they don't vote or make a final decision on that bill until several days later. Sometimes committee chairs are often in control of that. I think as a lobbyist working with those committee chairs and ensuring that you have those relationships is important because they are the ones that tend to know where those votes are. They're the ones that are going to help you understand when you can provide some influence or expertise in front of those committees. They definitely play a large leadership role within those committees. They're often somebody that you need to be like uh, maintaining those relationships with and, and looking to for some of those big decisions. In terms of Billings representation, you've got Daniel Zolnikoff, her, who was in the House a couple years back. He's going to be the committee chair for Senate Taxation. Um, You have Chris Bridell, who was a freshman in the 2021 legislative session. I think he's got local government experience as well. He is going to be on the local government. He'll be chairing that. Jason Small, who's got just a vast amount of experience. He is the Senate Business and Labor Committee chair. He's also going to be uh, the vice chair of your Senate Um, Energy and Telecom Committee. And then you've got Barry Usher, who again moved from the House over to the Senate. He'll be the vice chair for Senate Judiciary. He chaired the House Judiciary Committee for quite some time. And I know that he's really passionate about that. And then you've got Jen Gross, who is the vice chair for Senate Judiciary as well. So those are a couple of the folks that I think we'll see playing a pretty large role with the committees that you care about.
2: And and on the house side, then too, I I think we've got a few members of our local delegation. Uh, could you speak to those a little bit?
1: Sure. Yes, on the house, you've got Larry Brewster, who also was a freshman uh, in the twenty twenty one session. He's going to be chairing the local government committee. Katie Zolnikoff will be chairing the House Energy and Technology Committee, and then Carrie Seekins Crow will be the vice chair for your House Business and Labor Committee, which is obviously a big committee.
2: Excellent.
0: Yellowstone Valley Electric Cooperative and the Billings Chamber cordially invite you to mark your calendar for the annual Ag Celebration Banquet on January 27th, beginning at 5 p.m. in the Pavilion at Metro Park. Enjoy an evening with local entertainment, a delicious meal, and front porch conversations with agricultural leaders. We will also recognize one of the industry's best with the 2022 Ag Excellence Award. Visit BillingsChamber.com for tickets and program details.
2: So one of the uh, most important things that, uh, in fact, it's the only thing that the legislature actually has to do is pass a budget bill. Uh, we don't know exactly what House Bill 2 will look like, but the governor's made a budget proposal. Can Can you speak a little bit to what he's looking at uh, funding this next legislative cycle?
1: Sure. Yeah, we've got a, about a $1 billion surplus due to a lot of the federal money that's come in. Um, His budget is out and available as well. That was released on the 15th of November. So about a week and a half ago, he's going to be focused quite a bit on decreasing the state's tax rate from 6.5% to 5.9%. He he plans to increase the business equipment tax exemption to a million, which I think is going to be a pretty big deal for the chamber's He'll be looking a lot at workforce, um, and I think we will, what I like to call the trifecta, we'll hear a lot about workforce, child care, and housing. The housing task force came out with quite a bit of uh, recommendations that I think we can expect to see, and I think that will impact property taxes and our tax code, but also just housing shortages as it relates to childcare and workforce. And then I think that some of the big numbers that that are worth highlighting is $300 million to behavioral health care um, and going towards the system over in uh, Warm Springs, $200 million for sewer and water infrastructure, and then $100 million for roads and bridges. I think he wants to, some of his plan is decreasing the debt and our taxes. I think we will see a very business-centric budget coming forward over the 2023 session.
2: Yeah, and I would agree. Just looking at the governor's budget, a lot of that stuff you mentioned falls in line with the Billings Chamber's public policy priorities that we reach out to our membership, survey them, get that feedback. Our advisory board vets uh, some of that information that our board ultimately approves those policies, which are Montana's workforce tax reform Help me out, Jack. What's public our last safety. one? Goodness public sakes, safety, yeah. <laughs> public safety, thank you.
1: I think we'll see some bipartisan support uh, related to some of the issues that the Billings Chamber cares about related to public safety, the permanent funding for drug courts. I think some of the uh, law enforcement and prosecutors, uh, opioid issues and substance use, behavioral health in general seems to be a pretty hot topic, not only in Montana, but nationally. And I've always been really pleased to see where that's an issue that doesn't really seem to cross a partisan line. It's something that I think everybody agrees, including our executive office and the administration in Montana. So my hope would be that we see a lot of opportunity to partner there.
0: I, I'm going to ask a question that I know is probably on the mind of some of our our listeners. Public safety has been a big focus in Billings for a long time, and we've increased law enforcement, but we still have issues with jail space here at the county jail. And a big part of that is uh, state prisoners taking up space that could be utilized to, you know, get some folks off the street in Billings that probably ought to be off the street. Is there anything in the governor's budget that can help with that?
1: I don't want to say specifically whether there's anything related to that issue. I can tell you I think that that is something that some of your legislators care a lot about and in fact last time I was in Billings Senator Lacks, Barry Usher, and Dennis Lenz both spoke to that issue specifically. They'll be on committees that will be overseeing those issues. And both openly shared with me that they they agreed shouldn't, we shouldn't be using our jail systems as a place to hold someone who's struggling with behavioral health challenges. Um, that we really need to look at what those opportunities are. And so without diving into the budget specifically, unless Dan wants to take over...
2: No, I was just going to say, I think there's a lot of overlap with the drug treatment courts, and that is a diversionary program to keep people out of the the justice system and, well, uh, keep people out of jails and get them back on their feet. Uh, You know, it's got good uh, outcomes as far as keeping people from recidivating uh, and getting back into the workforce, getting their lives back on track, and it keeps them out of the jail, so that can certainly help. Uh, with our situation here, and and I think that we will see good bipartisan support for policies like that. what What else do you foresee as as sharing a lot of bipartisan support throughout the last legislative or throughout the next legislative session?
1: i think I think we can see some bipartisan support coming around some of the property tax relief. I know that was a large discussion that took place across multiple interim committees. And I think there's been a lot of work with those committees which of course are designed to be bipartisan so we'll be seeing some bills coming forward i think not only related to public safety but from some local government and the economic affairs interim committee where my hope would be that we see some some of that coming forward i know that uh, workforce and housing childcare that trifecta i i would expect that we see some bipartisan support and some opportunities for the billings chamber to really align and um provide some expertise and support around some of the bills that we'll see coming out there. My hope is that we will also continue to talk about employment opportunities and even some business growth opportunities. Most of Montana is made up of small businesses, as you know. And I think that any community in Montana right now is really seeing the challenges, and we all want our communities, whether you're Missoula or Glendive, to be thriving. Um and so I, I hope that we see some bipartisan support there around business policies.
2: Excellent. Any wild cards that you think might come into the mix that maybe people are not paying enough attention to, but that we might see nonetheless?
1: You know, something that I haven't heard talked about for a while now, but had been uh, at the forefront of a lot of folks, mind was voting integrity, voting rights, however you want to frame that. I do know there's a lot of bills coming forward related to that. But it's kind of dropped off the radar and I haven't heard as much about that. So I, I expect that we'll see quite a bit potentially coming forward around how Montanans are allowed and able to vote. And I think that's going to come down to a lot of ideology. And I also suspect that there might be some changes to just local government authority. And if that's not something that you generally work in that space, it might be be something you didn't pay attention to in the past, but now as that relates to how services are delivered to communities and to businesses that will directly impact health care, child care, et cetera, that businesses need in place, there might be some changes that we'll see. Well,
2: dovetailing into the the uh, voting issues here is uh, I've seen a couple of bill draft requests from our veteran legislators to uh, up or increase the threshold for uh mill levy or bond votes at the local level to a two-thirds majority something for which when we look back on our recent mill levies whether it be for the city or county or school you know there's maybe one out of a couple dozen that would have actually passed there's a bill draft request in uh thus far for uh sort of sunsetting all of the uh, voted mill levies and having voters re-vote on all of that again I don't know if that'll get legs, but certainly ties into that that voting theme that, that maybe folks aren't paying enough attention to at the moment.
1: So I, I think what will be really important for legislators, lobbyists, and just citizens to be paying attention to is that some of those changes and some of the rhetoric that's coming out about how mill levies are authorized and how they impact local governments, just general citizens aren't really paying attention to that. And I definitely think that we'll see a lot more conversation about that. I think the way local governments are able to engage and put something out to their voters, some of that we might see some changes. It's maybe too early to know. What's important to remember is that local governments don't have the authority to just make those changes. It is something that still goes out to the voters. And I think the authority for how that works and to what extent is something that we'll have to pay closer attention to
2: yeah, I think one of the other issues here that you know might be flying a little bit under the radar, but for folks in the industry is uh, tourism funding. There is some concern with our tourism organizations uh, that because of the uh, call it overflow of uh, visitors and tourists to western Montana, there's conversations of relooking at what's budgeted for tourism marketing and promotion. But on Eastern Montana, we've got a, certainly a different story where our uh, uh, wonderful organizations like Visit Billings and Southeast Montana uh, that work for our rural communities in Eastern Montana and Billings uh, really have to fight for every tourist that we bring in uh, and get them to come through our communities and spend their dollars here. What what do you foresee happening along those lines of the tourism funding and what should we be aware of and, and uh, potentially concerned about?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I think... I- I think that the executive office is looking at that as well with some of the push for, you know, growing business opportunity and looking at how we bring new businesses in? How do we promote site selection? How do we get folks out there for agritourism? Or, you know, I've even heard astrotourism now, where you know, Eastern Montana' is dark, and so you can actually see stars, and that's becoming sort of a hit issue in the tourism industry. My hope would be that we really do look at that eastern part of the state. I think that there's a lot of groups that are looking at that. There's some new associations coming to fruition in order to ensure that some of those dollars are not just going out to that top seven on the western slope of the the state. I think that some of the universities, in fact, are starting to talk about what does it mean to to reimagine rural, for example? How do we get away from saying, oh, it's a small town, no one wants to be here, and really look at some of those assets that exist um and i think you know there's a wave of folks moving to montana we all know that everyone has different opinions about that but they're 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 not necessarily going to be coming to bozeman or missoula anymore it's becoming expensive it's crowded it's harder to find opportunities for those younger families coming in they're looking for some of that smaller quieter space where they can have a little bit of land and so how is that going to change the dynamics and what do we need to do to encourage folks to get out there so I don't know where that will land, but I think we've got a lot of champions and a lot of allies um, that are talking about the same thing, looking at the same thing, and wanting to make sure we don't forget the better half or bigger half of our state out there.
2: Better half, I like that. Better half, yeah. <laughs> uh, so for those who want to stay engaged or get more involved, when when should people really start You know, looking marking their calendars, being ready to get more engaged with the legislative process.
1: Yeah. So, you know, we'll be working, of course, between now and the start of the session, which is January 2nd. So there's not a lot of time between the start of the new year and our legislators coming into Helena. We have a lot of new folks coming in. Generally, there's opportunities with with me as your contract lobbyist and working with you, Dan, and your committee We'll be meeting weekly. I will be sending out a lot of different reports about just updates, not quite every week, but I try to get something out to my clients and your members so that they're aware of some hot ticket items that are taking place. I think that they can expect to be hearing quite a bit from us starting in the beginning of January. May 10th is the date set for signee die, which is when the, the session would conclude. Again, my, my guess is that they will go to the full extent, whether it goes all the way to May 10th or not, I'm not sure. You've got a transmittal deadlines halfway through the session at that 45-day mark. And so I think if anybody is interested in engaging, if they are interested in learning more about the process or testifying or providing some sort of expertise to committee members, I would just encourage them to reach out to you, to reach out to us, and to really be looking for ways to engage with the chamber, to hear from me, to hear from you and our crew really kicking off starting that first week or two of January.
2: Yeah, and we'll be we'll be pretty active here at the chamber sharing likely a lot of that information that that you'll be providing that on-the-ground feedback through our weekly legislative update that'll go out on Monday mornings to give our members a preview of the week ahead, not only kind of a topic of interest, but a sampling of the bills that we're watching or weighing in on so that our members know exactly what we're doing for them. Uh, we also host, in partnership with Montana State University Billings, bi-weekly video conference where the citizens, residents of Billings, are welcome to join for a lunch up at MSUB. They'll connect with as many legislators as we can get in a room up in Helena. Uh, they're often uh, rather busy, so we can we can usually get about 10 to 12 uh, of our local folks up there. And it gives them an opportunity to, to chat about what legislators are working on, what they think our residents need to be paying attention to, or or if they can solicit some feedback. And then our residents get an opportunity to provide a little testimony and input and information to our legislators, you know, rather than having to travel uh, up to Helena. So that's a great way to get involved as well. And and I think we mentioned virtual testimony which we saw for the first time last legislative session because of COVID. But it, it really is a, a pretty easy way for folks to be able to provide expertise and information. And and it's really as simple as a Zoom call.
1: It is. And I believe that they will continue to do that. Some of that is up to the discretion of the chairs. I think now it's become sort of standard practice. They did maintain that throughout the interim um, over the last year and a half or so. And it's it's an Awesome, excellent way to really take a stab at engaging and being part of that public process as a citizen, as a voter, as a constituent. I always encourage folks to really use that as an opportunity to to try your hand at it, see what you think. And it's a little less vulnerable because um, when you are testifying virtually, all we can do is hear you. Nobody sees your face. At least that's how it was in 2021. Um, So it's a great opportunity to really, you know, have your notes in front of you. It's a little less nerve wracking, but it certainly is a way to represent the chamber or an issue where you do have some expertise. And I always say, you know, legislators in Montana want to hear from their constituents. They want to hear from citizens much more so than they do a lobbyist like myself. You know, they want to hear from someone who lives in their community and is fighting the fight and living their life day in and day out trying to get by and figure things out and better our state so that they have a place to live that's safe and healthy and happy. And so for anybody out there as a citizen, as a constituent, your voice is always more powerful than mine on any day of the week. So come come join us and give it a try.
0: Sounds excellent. And of course we'll have Links to all of this in the show notes if you want to get engaged this legislative session or if you want our help staying informed on what's going on, we'll have some resources available for you.
1: And maybe just to close out, the state chamber does their days at the Capitol. It'll be that first week in January. And so I know that that's generally an opportunity for folks to come down. And it'll be very early on in the session, but given how new a lot of folks are, um, My understanding is that's also a great opportunity to come and get to know some of your colleagues and business owners and hear about some of the statewide priorities from the state chamber and represent billings if you're interested.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you very much, both of you, so much for your time today. And thank you in advance, Rebecca, for giving our members a voice up in Helena.
1: Absolutely. Anytime.
0: Thank you to Rebecca for taking time out of her busy schedule to talk to us today. And thank you to Dan Brooks for co-hosting. Make sure to check the show notes for information on how to stay informed this legislative session. Don't forget to subscribe to Chambercast wherever you get your podcasts because there is something here for everyone.